states are still kind of just doing their thing when it comes to their coronavirus responses. Bad day at work? Probably not compared to Caribou Coffee's marketing team. And would you say you're obsessed with true crime documentaries? Well, not like today's guest. We've got Patrick Hins, host of the podcast True Crime Obsessed, here to chat with us. The date, May 19th, 2020. The time, news o'clock. Hello, friends. I'm Hayes Brown. And I'm Casey Rackham. Welcome to News O'Clock. Okay, Hayes, Mindy Kaling has made my day. Uh, You live in L.A., so this could go in a number of directions, I feel, so please explain. Okay, you are absolutely correct, but she's writing Legally Blonde 3. That, to quote the show on Broadway, oh my God, oh my God, you guys. Yes, I'm so excited. I was not expecting Illegally Blonde 3 to come and nonetheless be written by Mindy Kaling. Well, co-written because she's writing with Dan Gore, who's the co-creator of Brooklyn Nine-Nine and was an executive producer on Parks and Rec. So it's going to be it's going to be so funny. And is Reese Witherspoon involved? Oh, yes. She's playing the lead. It's going to be co-produced with with MGM and then Hello Sunshine, which is Reese Witherspoon's production company. So, oh, that is delightful. I can't wait to see what is going to happen with that one. All right, Casey, thank you for sharing that. But today we begin, as ever, with the Corona update. Here are three things you need to know today. One, the Department of Health data scientist who was tracking Florida's coronavirus data has been sidelined, and people are worried about what that means for transparency. Rebecca Jones was the architect and manager for Florida's COVID-19 dashboard until last Friday. The system had been praised for being where journalists, researchers, and just anyone could see the state's COVID-19 cases, testing, and death data in one place. Last week, Jones announced in an email that her department no longer has control over the dashboard and what data goes into it. She also warned that she doesn't know what the new team's plans are for putting data out there or, quote, what data they are now restricting. Florida Today reports that her removal leaves researchers worried about what this will mean as Florida's government moves to kickstart its economy. At least two people that they spoke with reported having difficulty getting some of the underlying raw data that had once been easily accessible. Wait, so who is this new team then? Uh, question mark, question mark, question mark. That was not in Florida Today's story. So all we know so far is that it's no longer in the hands of the people who were taking care of it, and that Florida has a really big interest in making things look pretty good for opening its economy. Number two, youth summer camps in Texas are preparing to reopen. As part of the state's second stage of reopening, Governor Greg Abbott announced yesterday that camps, as well as youth sports, can start opening on May 31st. The state issued guidelines for camp operators to screen for COVID-19 symptoms on a daily basis. But just days ago, Texas had its largest single-day spike in reported cases at more than 1,800. The American Camp Association, which I did not know was a thing, hasn't decided yet whether it's safe for camps to reopen the summer, with one camp director telling BuzzFeed News that she has qualms about gathering children together in a pandemic. Another, though, says he thinks that this time will be more important than ever for kids to be in a camp, given how weird everything is. Okay, yes, I understand how, like, bonding throughout all of this is important and social interaction is pivotal to growth as children, but also pandemic. Also (laughs) pandemic indeed. Okay, number three. In more positive news, Michigan announced today that they're expanding absentee voting to everyone in the state this fall. Michigan Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson said that for the upcoming elections in August and November, all registered voters in the state can apply to vote absentee. The state will be mailing those applications each of Michigan's 7.7 million registered voters in the near future. States have been struggling to figure out how to allow for voting safely in a few months if the coronavirus pandemic is still ongoing. 
Efforts to coordinate that at the federal level have hit roadblocks, including an unwillingness from Republicans to take election planning powers away from the states. As a registered absentee voter since 2012, I am a firm believer that everyone should have that ability and that it should be countrywide. So I hope that this happens for all states. (laughs) Ditto that. Ditto that. All right. It's time for today's good news, bad news. This is where I bring you some of the most, oh, thank goodness, and most, oh, that's awkward, stories from around the internet. Good news, Ryan Seacrest, despite fans' worries, did not have a stroke during the American Idol finale, which, oh my God, thank God. So he was apparently looking a bit rough as he hosted Sunday's broadcast, leading fans to be hella, hella concerned. One Twitter user posted a video that was viewed 100,000 times showing Seacrest stumbling over his words while his right eye was half-closed. Cynthia Erivo and the top 11 right there. You can catch her playing Aretha Franklin on the National Geographic Limited Series, Genius Aretha, premiering this fall. He then took the day off yesterday from filming live with Ryan and Kelly, which got people even more concerned about whether he was all right. But his representatives told people that he did not suffer any kind of stroke and that he's just extremely tired because, listen to this, he's hosting Live with Kelly and Ryan, American Idol, on air with Ryan Seacrest, and the Disney Family sing-along specials from home. So, uh, yeah, I would be tired, too. Is Ryan Seacrest the hardest working white man in Hollywood? Because if I'm right, isn't he also an executive producer on Keeping Up with the Kardashians? You're totally right. He is. I always forget about that one. I mean, yeah, it's it's him and Andy Cohen, right? <laughs> the hardest working white men. <laughs> but Ryan Seacrest absolutely hustles. I mean, I think we all know how exhausting it is working from home, which I don't think is something anyone would expect to say, but it truly is. So to do mm-hmm. all that, host that many shows, Mike, my God, I hope he's getting the rest he needs. Right. We host one thing together. (laughs) One. (laughs) All right. Bad news. If you're Caribou Coffee's marketing team, the coffee sleeves you ordered pre-pandemic are uh, not exactly great right now. A TikTok user posted this video of the process he's had to go through lately. And we have these sleeves for the coffee cups, you know, so you don't burn your hand. And they have cute outdoorsy nature phrases, very on brand for us. But I have to go in and I have to take out every fourth one because they printed them with the words, fight the urge to remain indoors. Okay, so no, wow, that is not the message you want to be putting out there right now. I think it is hilarious that that is what was uh, <laughs> what was put onto the sleeve. I mean, just poor timing. They didn't know. They didn't know. So in this video, the TikToker tosses those sleeves into a giant crate. But according to a tweet from Dan Liu in Minneapolis, some stores are crossing out the fight the urge part with Sharpie, leaving just the stay indoors, which, look, we're saving paper. Good for them. <laughs> I, can you imagine being the person who signed off on that slogan? Or even worse, the person who wrote that slogan who's like, yeah, my copy's getting out on all these sleeves nationwide. And then I'm sorry to you, whoever you are, nameless uh, copy person. Listen, the only person I care about is the person who came up with the Sharpie thing that was like, lol, what if we just like block it out? <laughs> close enough (laughs) they don't care oh man all right when we come back we've got co-host of true crime obsessed patrick hins with us stick around
Chief It. We're tired of hearing new year, new you, fat burning secrets, and lose weight fast. The only thing you need to lose is self-doubt. The body you're in deserves respect, love, and support. Support you're not getting from your current sports bra. It's time to experience the only sports bra that actually does its job and outperforms the most popular brands on the market. It's time to feel real support from SheFit. Save $10 today at SheFit.com slash 2022. The Gangster Chronicles podcast is a weekly conversation that revolves around the underworld. From criminals and entertainers to victims of crime and law enforcement, we cover all facets of the game. Gangster Chronicles podcast doesn't glorify or promote illicit activities. We just discuss the ramifications and repercussions of these activities. Because after all, if you play gangster games, you are ultimately rewarded with gangster prizes. Our Heart Radio is number one for podcasts, but don't take our word for it. Find the Gangster Chronicles podcast on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. It's time to gear up for the NFL postseason. Yes, Head over to NFLShop.com today for the largest assortment of officially licensed gear. I need it! NFL Shop is your destination for jerseys, T-shirts, headwear, and more. Oh, you're sweet with it! Come back after the game for the best selection of NFL gear anywhere. How you like that, baby? Rep your team pride with styles fit for the whole family. To shop now, go to NFLShop.com. Welcome back. True crime has been a favorite genre of thrill seeker since back in the 19th century when newspapers printed gruesome headlines and stories of murder and betrayal. But now it seems we have an even bigger appetite than ever for these stories with massive hits from Serial to Firefest to Tiger King. Today, we're joined by a bona fide expert on this field, one of the hosts of the podcast, True Crime Obsessed, Patrick Hens. Hello, Patrick. Hi, guys. Thank you so much for having me. This is BuzzFeed. This is crazy. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> so we actually talked about you on the show last week because of your interview in a New York Times article about people who've seen ghosts while hiding out from the coronavirus. We'll get to that later. But first things first, have you done any crimes that you'd like to confess to on this podcast? <laughs> um, You guys, I wish I wish I could tell you that I was more interesting, but I'm not. I'm Look, I'm the kind of person that grew up, I still to this day, like I'm a dad and a full grown human Mm -hmm. adult. And I have this like overwhelming like fear of getting yelled at. So I was always just like this really nerdy, good kid. Like even to this day, I don't I don't cross against the light. I say please and thank you. Like I'm this is what you're dealing with here. (laughs) I will say that one time I oh God, when I was like six or seven, I stole a pack of gum and then I like immediately went and told my priest you guys like this is where we are <laughs> then the perfect person to be hosting a podcast about murder <laughs> yeah <laughs> exactly exactly <laughs> okay so what do you think it is that makes people love true crime so much you know it's so interesting that's a question i get a lot and i i, I think what i've come to is that like number one i think we just have this fascination with being scared so i think like that's sort of baked mm. into it but also I think it's especially in like true crime podcasts, like 
all of these stories seem to center around just like normal people that really crazy and insane things happen to. And so I think that like the 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 victims in these crimes are usually the people we can relate to. Like they look like us, they have lives that are just like us. And so it's sort of like we have this it's sort of like pressing on a bruise. Like I want to know this could maybe happen to me, but I never <laughs> wanted to happen to me and how is this person different than me, but how is this person just like me? Like I think there's a lot of like there's just a lot of like these things could happen to anybody. Mm-hmm. So do you remember what the first true crime documentary saw was that made you go, okay, yes, this is amazing. This is a genre that I need to consume entirely. Yes. So it's called The Imposter. And, you know, mm. before I had, so my daughter is now six. And, like, until, like, Frozen 2 came out, The Imposter was the last movie <laughs> I saw in the movie theater, like, <laughs> nine years ago or something insane. And it's this crazy documentary. It was actually the first epi- the first documentary we covered on True Crime Obsessed, the podcast that I host, which is like where we, we recap true crime documentaries. And it's this crazy documentary that tells the story of um, a kid named Nick in Texas who went missing when mm-hmm. he was like 12 years old. And like, no- like nobody had any information. Nobody knew anything about where this kid went. And then three years later, the family gets a call from like overseas from I think it was Spain where there was this kid in a phone booth who like was mm-hmm. claiming to be this missing kid, Nicholas Barclay. And you know right from the beginning that it's a lie, but, like, you sort of go with the family on this journey of, like, going to get him, and then, like, the family sort of, like, either believing it, or then you start to get this, like, wait, maybe the family knew that it really wasn't him, but they had to go along with it because maybe the family had something to do with his disappearance. It was, it's crazy. It's one of the best documentaries out there. So on your podcast, True Crime Obsessed, you make a lot of funny jokes, but these are serious topics you're talking about. So how do you decide what's in bounds for joking about when there's literal murder involved? Yeah, that's such a good question. You know, we did not set out to make a comedy podcast at all. Neither Jillian nor I think that we're funny. And like, I will tell you that when we have, we do live shows that have like 700 to 1,000 people and both of us will stand backstage before and be like, what are we going to say? Like, what are we going to do? Like, <laughs> we don't know how to do that. And so it really, like, it it came so organically when we sat down, you know, like I was saying, the first episode, we were just going to talk about the imposter. And I had taken all these notes on, like, the cinematography and the lighting and the whatever. And Jillian and I were new friends. We didn't know each other that well. And we start talking. And all of a sudden, she is cracking me up. And I'm like leaning off mic because I don't think it's appropriate and sort of like trying to like maintain my composure while while like having a really good time I didn't expect to be having. And when I listened back to it and I was editing the first episode together, I realized that like we didn't, we don't, we had no desire to make fun of the victim, to make fun of the crime. You mm-hmm. know, the humor where, where there's a lot of humor with us, there's always a lot of like feeling and rage and understanding you know we take the the crimes really seriously we really do think of ourselves as like victim advocates as like another way Mm -hmm. of being able to sort of keep these stories in the you know people talking about them because we find that people can listen to us talk about them because we do inject that sort of levity so we are really really careful we you know we never victim blame or shame it's always the humor just always comes from like the idiot detective or the you know the bad prosecutor or whatever so there are a lot of true crime podcasts out there right now. What is the worst trend you've seen emerge from how popular they've been over the last few years? You know, it's hard to say. Like, I really, 
I, you know, as a professional podcaster, I understand how hard it is to make a podcast. And so anybody who's out there doing it, I, I never want to put anybody down. I think a lot of times people are are just making something because they have something to say and maybe the quality is not the best because they don't care so much about the audio or whatever. But I think what we try not to do is sort of meander mm-hmm. too far from the, the story we're telling because I think we really, because we've taken this on and we do sort of have this big audience like we take the responsibility of telling the story especially if it's something that's unsolved you know and you you just never know when someone's gonna listen to a podcast and hear something that like rings a bell and and they're the one that like you know has that piece of evidence that's missing like we just try to tell the story as sort of not as directly as we can but we we try to make sure that the story is the main focus and not so much us you mentioned live shows your show was about to be the first podcast to do a live taping on broadway how did that come about and and are there plans to make it happen in the after times? <laughs> yeah, I mean, we, you know, Jillian and I are both theater kids. Like we, they, there's a lot of Broadway on our podcast. We just love theater. Um, and, y- you know, it can- you're in good company right now, <laughs> sir. Oh, is that right? What are your quick? What's your favorite shows, you guys? Oh, God. Why would you do this to us? Uh, West Side Story, Hamilton, yes. uh, 1776. Yes. Mine is 25th Annual Putnam County Spelling Bee. <gasps> yes, girl. Oh, my God. Yes, yes, yes. I love that show. So. You know, it came about because we dared to dream, as they say. You know, when we started doing live shows, we're like, wouldn't it be crazy to play Broadway one day? And then Julian and I just kind of like looked deep into each other's eyes and we're like, we're doing it. Like, we're definitely doing that. And so it is kind of a heartbreaker. You know, after a year of work, we were going to June 1st was going to be our Broadway debut. And obviously that's not going to happen. We very, very much are going to make it happen. Same theater. It's second stage. The theater company, they're actually the company that Mm. put on the 25th annual Putnam County Spelling Bee. Uh, Um, It's the Hayes Theater. And we are locked in with them whenever the world goes back to some kind of normal. We are definitely going to be on Broadway. Which, like, I just got chills saying. That's an insane thing. It's Uh, amazing. Thank you. Oh, man. Speaking of chills, though, back to the ghost (laughs) thing. Can you tell us about that experience? And while doing so, answer my Biggest question. How did you, an expert (laughs) on crimes and murder, think going to a cabin in Massachusetts during a pandemic was a good idea? You guys, it was like, okay, first, my husband will murder me if I don't say this. We left before there was any like stay at home order or shelter in place. Like we were, again, I told you, I'm afraid of breaking, I'm not a rule breaker. Like we were not breaking any rules by leaving. Um, but we, you know, we just kind of didn't know what to do. Like we live in midtown Manhattan, which is like the most Mm. densely populated part of the city. And we were so scared that we we were going to just be stuck inside. So we were like, I don't know, let's go live out our cabin fantasies. Doesn't every gay have a cabin fantasy? And so we scooped up our kid and got in the car and and we drove out to Massachusetts. It sounds so ridiculous now that I'm saying it out loud. And we got there and we were just like immediately bored. Like, what do you do? Like this town was so cute, but like everything was closed. Like obviously like nothing was. So we're just like in this house in the middle of nowhere. We had a great time eventually, but it was a rocky start. So where did the ghost come in, though? What night was that? I mean, the first night there was no heat. Was it like after cabin fever had set in, I have to ask? Yeah, we were just like, it was, I don't even know what it was. Like, it was three in the morning. I remember it was like 3.01 when I, I looked at my phone and I got up and... 
I'm walking to get a glass of water and I see a person sitting at the table out of my periphery. Now, uh, again, this all happened in like an instant, like a second and a half tops. And I kind of like look over and I see this person sort of like slumped over. I, I swear to God, this ghost was asleep, you guys. It's like the most boring ghost in town. <laughs> you can imagine. He's like in like this old timey like military uniform facing away from me, but I, I could see him like in profile. And his eyes were closed and his head was down, sort of like his chin, like on his chest. And as soon as I was like, wait, what? He was gone. That was it. That was the whole thing. And, but it was so real. Like I was wide awake. It was so real. It was like, not, like, I, I don't know how to explain it other than like, it. Just, I, it's true, you know? Final follow-up though. Have yeah. you done any research to like, was there a World War II person who lived in this cabin before? Or is that just... Okay, so here's the crazy thing. So I was telling this to my co-host Jillian and she was like, girl, if you want to never sleep again, go through their house and look for photo albums and see if there's anybody like in the, like in the photo albums that looks like this person and I thought wait a minute you guys there's a piano and above the piano there is like a family tree with photos I'd never looked at it and I walked over and there was like eight or nine black and white pictures of men in military uniforms I swear to God. <laughs> and my husband, who doesn't believe any of this, by the way, was like, did, he's like, obviously you've been looking at those photos and then like you had a dream about it and like, or whatever. And then you woke up and like, that's what, and I was like, no, I had never looked at those photos before. Like, I can't say that any one of them looked exactly like the man that I saw for a split second. But like the thing that I remember the most distinctly about the ghost was the military uniform. And like three or four of these men were all wearing military uniforms from like back, like the very same style. Don't let mm. your husband logic you out of this. I won't. You saw a ghost <laughs> and that's that. I know. And the funny thing <laughs> is, I almost didn't even tell him the next day because it, the, it was so non-threatening and so non-scary that I was like, oh, that's weird. I just saw a ghost. And then like it only as an afterthought did I tell him the next morning. Well, Patrick, thank you so much for joining us. This has been great. Thank you for having me, you guys. It was such a trip to hear you guys talking about me on your episode last week. I was like, wait, that's me. I know who they're talking about. <laughs> Thank you, guys. It's time for The List. And today, we're looking at five true crime documentaries that are not Tiger King that you can binge on Netflix. <laughs> what can we say? We were inspired by Patrick's enthusiasm. Number one, the Ted Bundy tapes. Theodore Bundy has escaped, suspected of dozens of sex killings in Washington State, Idaho, Utah, and Colorado. I think things are going to work out. That's about all I can say. Number two, Wild Wild Country. Who would poison a whole town? The Rajneeshis set a stage for a big outbreak to influence the election. They had no evidence. Number three, The Keepers. There's an on-the-record public story of what happened to Sister Kathy. And then there's the world beneath. Number four, abducted in plain sight. When she didn't come home, I was a little nervous. It was a nationwide search. Jan went with me voluntarily. They bring in aliens and mind washing. And number five, American Vandal. I'll never understand what's so amusing about penises. Everyone thinks I did it. Everyone. Wait, time out. Nope. That one was not a real true crime documentary, Casey. What is it doing in this list? I had to sneak it in because very big confession. I am a scared. I cannot, I cannot watch true crime documentaries. I'm going to have nightmares. Oh, I'm no. such a scared cat. Oh, no. Okay, okay so... 
listen, but I'm not opposed. If, be, if you really want me to be scared, I'll do it. Which, <laughs> so which one of these should I watch? What's like a training wheels one? Okay, so uh, the not training wheels one that is really good, though, uh, The Keepers, is a look at uh, how the Catholic Church covers up abuses. So really fascinating. Uh, oh. So you'll be really sad and scared on that one. But I think a good training wheels one is Wild Wild Country, which is about cults and possibly food poisoning murders okay yes i definitely read about that one wait the keepers is that one where nuns were oh no because that was a priest one there's one where nuns were pushing out children from from windows that oh. were like crying too much i don't know when that oh, one no, was that one Steve- was that was in ireland that was a very fascinating buzzfeed news story it wasn't that one but i oh yeah that's what it was <laughs> But for people who are listening out there, highly recommend you go check out these documentaries on Netflix, even if you're a scaredy cat like Casey. That's it for today. Join us tomorrow for a talk with Mark Leon Goldberg, the host of the Global Dispatches podcast about Trump's latest favorite punching bag, the World Health Organization. And remember, listen to what Chelsea Colliard told local TV station KJAC in Florida. Wash them hands for 20 seconds and keep them clean with the Germex. Totally. Be sure to subscribe to News O'Clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you go for your sound stories. And please take the time to leave us a rating and a review. After you do that, go tell your friends all about us. We love new friends. Then set your alarm so you never miss an episode of News O'Clock. Whenever you look for news, you may feel forced to choose between partisans in mainstream media and conspiracists in alternative media. That's where the Lost Debate steps in. I'm Corey Bradford. I'm Ricky Schlott. And I'm Ravi Gupta. We launched The Lost Debate, a podcast and YouTube show for political eclectics who've lost trust in our polarizing, manipulative media. We come from across the political aisle, but come together for debates that sound less like crossfire and more like conversations between real people. Check out The Lost Debate on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. Mama, what does the chicken say? Uh, dog. Cat. Giraffe. Giraffe, really? Giraffe. Uh, giraffe. You're not going to get it all right. Just make sure you nail the big stuff, like making sure your kids are buckled correctly in the right seat for their age and size. Get it right. Visit NHTSA.gov. Slash the right seat. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. What grows in the forest? Our imagination and our family bonds. The forest is closer than you think. Find a forest near you at discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council.